All right, today we're continuing our series called Experiencing God. Experiencing God. And what we're talking about in this series are ways that you can personally experience God. Ways that you can sense His presence in your life at specific moments in your life. It's been really powerful so far. We've talked about relationship, coming into a relationship with Jesus, coming into a relationship with God the Father, and the Holy Spirit working in that in our lives, drawing us to God. And and that relationship, when you have that relationship, it is a true experience with God that you have on a daily basis. You begin to talk to Him, and He begins to talk to you, and you begin to to get to know His voice, right? Then we talked about evangelism. Knowing that the reason we're saved, the reason we're saved is because Jesus raised from the dead. The reason that you believe in Jesus is because he raised from the dead. So that was last Sunday. If you can go back and listen to it, if you missed it, I encourage you to do so. It's a a really helpful understanding that that's why we share Christ. It's bringing hope to people. It's bringing hope to people, all right? So if you want to bring hope to people, know that you can do that. And if anybody asks you, why do you believe in Jesus? Well, it's fairly simple. Because he raised from the dead. Well, so-and-so doesn't believe in him. Did he raise from the dead? No, but Jesus did, right? right, So today we're going to talk about experiencing God through learning. Through learning, all right? When it comes to a relationship with God, It's important that you learn what he wants you to learn about him. We teach a lot of different things in the church. But here's a question. What does God want you to learn? What does he want you to learn about him? And when you read the scriptures, what does God want you to see in the scriptures? And listen, if you're not careful, you can spend your life learning, looking for the wrong information in the Bible that will never grow you, that you will never experience God with some of that information. In fact, some of that information could actually turn you away from Him if you apply it in the wrong way. How many of you know somebody like that? So, uh, let's go through the different ways that you can look at the Bible. Some people look at the Bible from a purely, strictly a, a historical perspective, right? And so when they read it, what do they do? They focus on the history of what's being written. And indeed, the Bible is the greatest history book in the world. It's got more details from thousands of years ago than any other historical record ever. And we're still finding information that validates that historical record. I mean, there's genealogies. We know the names of people in detail from thousands of years ago in the Bible. And we understand how the whole nation of Israel came here simply because of how the Bible recorded it. The only explanation for the nation of Israel to be in existence to this day is God's personal interaction. These people experience with God on planet earth. It's an amazing story and it's true and these people still exist to this very day and it's really interesting because this is the first time in 2,000 years that they've had their own territory again and Jerusalem is now the capital city of Israel again. It's amazing the time that we're living in. All right, too much on that. But some people just look at the historical perspective of the Bible. Some people see the Bible as an archaeological treasure map. They look for the archaeology that's involved there. And yes, it's a great 
It's great history that comes alive when we find archaeology that, 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 that we're able to dig up and find stuff that validates what Scripture says. It's pretty awesome. I mean, they're finding so much stuff today. I mean, they're just about to open the Pool of Siloam. That's amazing. Jesus hung out there. He healed somebody there. They're about to reopen that after like, I don't know, probably since 70 A.D. It's an amazing, amazing thing, all right? Uh, so there's great information, and that's good information. The historical information is good, but don't stop there. The archaeological information is good, but don't stop there. There's more to the Scripture than that. Some people be, view the Bible as a spiritual pick-me-up, and that's good. I would encourage you to do that. That's what we just did just before the sermon today, right at the end of the worship time. What we do, we used some Scripture. We talked about how God is, is everything to us, right? It's a, it's a pick-me-up. And so when you read the Scripture, if you're just reading from a personal perspective of what does God say to me to help me feel better today, that's good. But there's more than that. There's more than that. It's good to have that, but there's more than that. So what I want to teach you today is how to get to the best information. All of that was good. But what's the best information that the Bible has? And that is to seek and find the golden nuggets that God has hidden in His Word that teach us about who He is, what He likes, what he doesn't like, and what he does. That's what we want to find. So I want to teach you a little bit today. Is that all right? So stay awake. Okay, I'll try to keep you awake. I'll do my best. If I see you sleeping, I'll, I'll just yell real loud, okay? All right, so we're in school today. I want to teach you how to read the Word of God on your own so that when you are doing your devotional, it comes alive to you, right? a little too quiet today. All right, <clears throat> so we're going to do some examples, all right? John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Let me read it. All right, so basically what I did was I was just like, okay, I'll just start looking in the book of John and see what I can come up with and, and just show them how to apply this to their reading in Scripture, all right? So John chapter 2, when the Passover feast celebrated each spring by the Jews was about to take place, Jesus traveled up to Jerusalem. He found the temple teeming with people selling cattle and sheep and doves. The loan sharks were also there in full strength. Jesus put together a whip out of strips of leather and chased them out of the temple, stampeding the sheep and cattle, upending the, upending the tables of the loan sharks, spilling coins left and right. He told the dove merchants, get your things out of here. You can imagine Jesus doing this, right? Did you all know Jesus did this? He was furious, wasn't he? Stop turning my father's house into a shopping mall. That's when his disciples remembered the scripture. You can imagine the disciples that are standing over there. And these, these were brand fresh new disciples, all right? He had just, just gathered some of them. And they, they remembered this scripture. Zeal for your house consumes me, all right? So let's take a look at this scripture from the different perspectives. Somebody that's looking at it from a historical perspective here, they're going to look and go, oh, the annual celebration of Passover, right? And then they're going to be thinking about 
how that historically has been something that has impacted Israel. And they're going to look at all the different things. Well, and, and the fact that it happens in the spring. And also that this is when Jesus would be crucified, was crucified. Remember, about three years or so after this is when Jesus was actually crucified on Passover weekend. And so they look at the history of Passover and think, oh, that's important. That's awesome. Listen, that is important and that is awesome to look and see how all of that came together prophetically all the way from Egypt hundreds of years before Jesus was crucified on Passover. History is important. It's awesome. But there's more than that, right? And then someone would look at it from an archaeological perspective. What could we pick up on in this scripture that might be something archaeological that would be a great find? Can you imagine if we found the whip? That someone had said, hey, this whip is the one that Jesus went in and he cleared out the temple. Wouldn't that be awesome if we found the whip that Jesus did that with? Pretty awesome. And then you find out also when you do a little bit of digging, you can also find out that at the time, anybody ever heard of the, the historian named Josephus? Well, Josephus was, was a great historian back in those days, and he wrote about how the temple was full of gold, billions of dollars worth of gold at that time. And when you find that out in connection with this, with this passage, it's pretty interesting here, right? What would someone who was looking for spiritual encouragement find in this passage to be kind of a pick-me-up spiritually? Any ideas? How about the passage, zeal for your house consumes me, right? And you say, oh man, that's what I needed to hear. I needed to have zeal for God's house today. I'm excited to be in church. I'm excited to be worshiping God. Zeal for his house consumes me. And we let that pick us up. Listen, all of that is good. All of that is good. But there's something more that God wants us to get from this scripture. And this is where you've got to search and find and get to the gold nuggets. Don't just read over your devotional as you're doing it in the mornings. Let something soak in and you've got to ask the right question, all right? So how do we find the gold nugget here? Jesus got angry. Passionately angry, right? What does that mean? It means something he didn't like was going on. And so, how do we get to know God? We ask him, God, what do you like and what don't you like? Teach me this, all right? So, the golden nuggets of God's relationship with you are going to be found in asking that question while you're reading the Scripture, Jesus was really upset, and you could really miss a lot here. Some people look at this, and they walk away saying something that doesn't make sense compared to the... I've heard this translated basically this way. Um, God is telling us never to have any kind of sales in the church. Having a bookstore in the church. My mama says that bookstores in the church are of the devil, Right? And we could walk away saying that based upon this scripture. But is that the heart of this? No, it's not. So we got to find the golden nugget here, the golden nugget of truth. They're not just out there. you got to dig for them. God doesn't just put the simplicity 
of deep things out there. Or he doesn't put it out there in simplicity. He makes it where you've got to want to find what he says about something. Well, John, why, why does he do that? Why doesn't he just put it out there easy for us? He said it's for kings to find these things. In other words, people who care about it, they'll find them. And so that's the invitation today, to find the things that matter to God, that He wants to communicate with you on a daily basis. So in this, we find that there were two things that was happening here that Jesus really didn't like. Uh, it was Passover. And people were hustling and bustling into town, kind of like Christmas time for us. They were coming into town and they were haphazardly getting ready to celebrate Passover. Jesus doesn't like haphazardly worship of him. He doesn't like this, right? And the church, beyond that, the second thing was the church was taking advantage of the people having this attitude towards Passover. You see, Passover was their biggest celebration of the year. And Passover was when, uh, when the angel, if you remember, just before they came, came out of Egypt, the angel was going from house to house all throughout Egypt and was killing the firstborn son of every household. And if you put blood over the door on the doorpost of your house, the angel would pass over your house and not kill the firstborn son. And so this was a celebration that's been going on for hundreds of years at this point. And, and the people are coming into town to celebrate that. And this is the one holiday that spoke directly to the Messiah coming and being the spotless Lamb of God. And eventually, just three years down the road, Jesus would die on this holiday. So God was expecting the people to take this situation, this holiday, very serious. God had expectations of people. What was he saying? He's saying, I expect that you recognize the meaning of this holiday. And he expected them to do it thoughtfully. He expected them to, to, to approach this holiday uh, methodically with thought, with, with um, meticulous uh, care and attention to it, and worshipfully. And, and one of the main duties of this holiday for the people of God was that they would decide, all right, this is the lamb that will be slain on Passover on my behalf. I will raise this lamb and I will bring this lamb to the church and have them be able to, to do this for me on my behalf. And this is personal. This is meaningful. This is something I'm going to be prepared for when Passover comes. But instead, what was happening? The people were coming in to town like it was a football game. And they didn't have to bring their lamb. Not everybody, but a bunch of the people were coming into town. And, and at the temple, what was happening was, instead of the people bringing their best from their own flock, they were coming in and they were buying something from the temple. And not only that, but the, the people, the, 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 the priests and all of them, they were raising the prices of these sheep or the, these lambs and making sure that these people had what they had, but they were, they were allowing them to just come and buy them. You see, to the people, it was an offering of convenience. 
It was just convenience. And how many of you are grateful that we don't have to do that to this day, right? How much God has made it easier for us to worship. And to the church, it meant a lot of money. And they took advantage of the people in this regard. And worse than that, there were people that did bring their little lamb that they had raised and prepared and was ready their best. They brought it to the church. And the priest would say, mm, sorry, that one's not good enough. You need to buy one that we've got. We don't accept this one. Now do you understand why Jesus was mad? Billions of dollars of gold in the church. And that's what was going on? I don't know about you, but I'm getting mad just thinking about it. So what didn't God like? People were buying their way in. Greed. The people were paying for it, too. I mean, they were, they were feeding right into it, weren't they? So let's list it. The people were depending on the church to provide an easy-to-buy sacrifice. That's a problem with God. Secondly, that the church was accommodating for this lazy attitude towards worship. And third, even worse, that the church was taking advantage of this attitude and taking advantage of those who were coming with their best sacrifices. So then we ask this question, all right? So now we, we know what God didn't like. That's pretty easy to see. So we got to ask the other question when we're reading stuff like this. Okay, what does this tell me that he does like? So what does God like? One, when people think about their sacrifice and take it seriously. God likes that. Makes sense, doesn't it? And secondly, and he likes it when the church promotes an atmosphere of genuine love towards God with people's sacrifices. So this is why on Sundays you don't see your pastor getting up every Sunday or me having somebody get up every Sunday and twist your arm to give money to the church. If you love God, you want to find a way to do that. If you love Him, you're going to find a way to do that. I don't need to twist your arm and try to give you projects and all these kinds of things to do. We'll mention things like missions and we'll mention certain needs along the way, but nobody's going to twist your arm, give you the, one of these and all of that to try to, or a bunch of tears to try to get you to give. That's wrong. Why? Because I dream and God dreams, more than me, God dreams of a people who love Him and care about Him and want to find ways to worship Him, want to find ways to sacrifice for Him, want to prepare for ways for Him to be in, closer in their hearts and in their lives. And it's not just through money. So, the next step, when you find a golden nugget like this, is that you stop and go, how can I implement this into my life? Now that I've found something that God doesn't like and what God does like, how can I apply this to my life? How can I do this, something that will make a difference in my life? See, this is where life change comes from. Remember we talked about how life change is the evidence that Jesus is in your life? Some of the evidence, not all of it. 
All right, so instead of coming to worship haphazardly, I need to prepare myself. I need to think through these things. Why? Because God likes it. How am I going to be present when I get to church? What do I mean by that? Somebody tell me. How am I going to be present when I get to church? Awake? That's a good start, Dana. <laughs> get to bed early on Saturday night. That helps, right? Oh, now I'm meddling. So <laughs> what else? How am I going to be present? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my brain, right? I'm going to be there. You ever had someone come into a, a party and they were there, but they weren't? They're off by themselves. <sighs> Whatever. They don't say hi to anybody. Sometimes they'll even refuse to eat the food. No, I'll leave that. Okay. Am I going to be present when I get to church? for that? Am I going to participate? Am I going to participate in the worship? Am I going to participate in some sort of service? Remember we talked about uh, the gift of prophecy. All of us. When you speak the words of God that's encouraging that God has said, listen, you don't have to come up with anything to prophesy. You can speak the word of God that says, hey, the word says, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to their pur his purpose, right? You, that's, that's prophecy. Are you going to speak words like that into people's lives? Are you going to prepare yourself for that? Are you going to mentally think about and pray for your church family, who you're going to see when you come to church today? Who's been struggling this week? Who did you see on the prayer list that, man, if they, they may need a word of encouragement. God, do you have a word of encouragement for them? And write it down and pass it to them in a note or something. You prepare to be something present, someone present, doing something present in the church body, doing something that would encourage somebody today. What am I going to give? How am I going to offer myself as a living sacrifice? What am I going? God, I don't want to just go haphazardly. I want to show up in your presence every time I get the opportunity and be a part of what you're doing in my church family. Oh, but John, that's work. That's forethought. I would rather just show up and be fed. Okay, that might be good for you, but let me ask you a question. Is that good for God? Is that what He wants? No. And the whole point of this relationship with Him is learning what He wants and begin to implement it into our lives. Why does God like this? I'll tell you why. Because he's in this relationship. We had um, Valentine's Day this last week, right? So I don't want any nudging while I'm talking about this. But imagine this scenario. Let's say a wife goes all in and she prepares for her husband to come home. 
And she's already home, and she's got this dinner prepared for him. She cooks this beautiful meal, and she's got this romantic evening prepared. Wouldn't that be wonderful, guys? <laughs> Thank you, Colton. <laughs> he walks in the house, and there's music. The lights are dim. Oh, and the smell of bread. Mm. Bread and cake is all oh, right, and it's just wonderful. And she has prepared this amazing atmosphere. And he looks at her and goes, <laughs> that's ridiculous. And he goes over and makes him a plate real quick and flips on the TV. Oh, and he turns on the lights and gets them up and flips on the TV and just sits down and starts watching TV. <sighs> and then he gets whacked on the side of the head with a frying pan, right? <laughs> Someone said sleep with one eye open. So let me ask you a question. This happens all the time. Why would a guy do that? Because he hasn't prepared. He hasn't prepared. And I've seen and heard the reverse too. It's not just men that do this, ladies. A guy can prepare all the stuff and she could walk in and go, I'm not in the mood. Why do we respond like that? Because we're not in it. We haven't prepared. We haven't done what it takes to bring our stuff to the table. And I'm telling you today, God is in it. He's in it. He's prepared. He's got good things. He's got favor. He's got blessings. He's got eternal life. What did Jesus say? I'm going to what? Prepare a place for you. And he is prepared in this relationship to reciprocate anything that you and I participate in that we prepare for him. God says, I'm ready. I'm in this. And I'm just waiting for my people to get in it. I'm waiting for my people to prepare themselves for something real with me. And, 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 and imagine, imagine his reaction to a church body, to a group of people who actually get it. People who want to spend time with him. People who want to be with him. People who want to to come in and celebrate him together. People who want to learn what he likes and doesn't like. People that are hungry to be with him. Imagine what God's reaction would be to that kind of a group of people. I don't know about you, but that's what I want us to be. Amen. King David got it. He said, he said, God, I seek you with all my heart. Listen to the passion in this passage. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Listen to how deep that is. I've hidden your word in my heart. I like what you like and I don't like what you don't like. I embrace that with all my heart and I've hidden it in there. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one who rejoices and great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Boy, King David got it. King David got it. To sit and just meditate on the things that God likes and doesn't like and begin to accommodate for that in our lives. That's what David would do. And what did, what did God say about him? He's a man after my own heart. He loves me. He cares about me. 
All right? So let's look at another passage. Uh, flip over to John 4, 1 through 3. Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptisms that he and John performed. <clears throat> Are you awake? All right, you remember the Pharisees? These were the religious group in Judaism, okay? So they put up these scoreboards in town. John the Baptist, Jesus. Who's baptizing more? All right, so the purpose of it was to bring dissension between the two. They could see that the, even the disciples were struggling with, hey, uh, what do we do with this? You know, you got John the Baptist over here. He's got his ministry going. He's got his own disciples. And now we've got Jesus going. And John says this, but we... And so they started posting these, these in town. They had posted the score that Jesus was ahead. Isn't that great? Jesus was winning. Isn't that awesome? Jesus was ahead. Turning him and John into rivals in the eyes of the people. Not in Jesus and John's eyes. Isn't that awesome? So, what did Jesus do? Jesus, John, I'm winning. Is that what he did? I got you, man. I've got more. I'm winning. That's not what Jesus did. What does it say he did? He left. He was like, all right, I'm out. This is not about this competition, right? So, does this passage communicate anything about what God likes and doesn't like? Sure it does. One of the first questions I'm always asked when somebody finds out that I'm a pastor is, how many people are in your church? Isn't that funny? It's human nature. All right, so God's not interested in that. Jesus was like, I'm out. All right, so let's, let's go a little bit further in that chapter. John chapter 4, verses 43 through 45. After the two days he left for Galilee. Now Jesus knew well from experience that a prophet is not respected in the place where he grew up. So when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, but only because they were impressed with what he had done in Jerusalem during the Passover feast. Not that they, were, that, not that they really had a clue about what he, who he is or what he was up to. All right, not that they had a clue about who he is or what he's up to. They didn't care about his, his, what Jesus wanted. They didn't care about what he was up to. They didn't even care about who he is. They just were impressed, right? So Jesus, where did he grow up? Anybody remember? Nazareth, right? All right, so imagine, imagine this. This is the region of Galilee. Galilee was like a county. Nazareth was one of the cities or the towns inside Galilee, all right. So when it says he went to Galilee and then we find out he was in his hometown, we're talking about Nazareth right, right here, right? And so he went to Nazareth and what was the people's attitude in the city? They were impressed but not followers, right? So what do we have here? We have Jesus has been at the Passover that we were talking about earlier and he then comes to Galilee, which means 
He was expecting and hoping that some of the people that were at the Passover celebration came back to Galilee and maybe they believed in him at this point. So what is it these people saw in Jerusalem that made them impressed with Jesus? Well, let's read it. John chapter 2. We're backing up a couple of chapters. In Jerusalem, during Passover, many people put their faith in Jesus because they saw him work miracles. But Jesus knew what was in their hearts, and he would not let them have power over him. No one had to tell him what people were like. He already knew. So Jesus knew what was in these people's hearts. He knew that they didn't really believe. He knew that they weren't really followers. He knew that they were just impressed. And so when he came back to to Nazareth, he was probably hoping that maybe these people had had a heart change, right? He came to his hometown, and he was giving them a chance, it seems. You can imagine him thinking, well, when I come in, maybe these people will believe that I am the Messiah and ready to have a relationship with me. But that's not what he found at all, is it? People were probably wearing t-shirts, hey, I'm from Galilee, where Jesus is from. We're impressed with him. He's our local celebrity, right? Hey, Galilee, where miracle workers come from. He's our celebrity. We're impressed with him. Everything's great because he's from where we're from. So let me ask you a question. Does Jesus like it when people are just impressed with him? And here's a clue. If you only love God because of what he does for you, that's not love. I had someone communicate with me. They knew they loved me when I did something good for them and made them feel important. Is that love? No, because as soon as I didn't make them feel important, guess what happened? <laughs> they didn't love me. Love is when you just choose to love somebody no matter what they do, no matter who they are. And that's, that's what God expects. Is it wrong for him to expect that? No. Boy, does he come to the table when we do. John's account would have, would have us to believe that Jesus said, you know what, a prophet's not welcome, you know, a prophet's not respected as should be in his hometown. And John's account alludes to Jesus just leaving and going over to Cana, which is a town just, just nearby, still within Galilee. So John's account records that. But if you take this same story and you go to Luke, you find some more golden nuggets. Luke records, records so much more detail, deeper. You see, the people were impressed, but when you go to Luke, you find out that it was those same people that were very impressed in this same town, in his hometown. It's those people that became unhinged. I don't know why John didn't include this in his story, but you find out in Luke that, John, that these guys became unhinged at one point. And when you dig a little bit deeper, you see that Luke recorded this story from his perspective, and he included so many more details. And in Luke chapter 4, Jesus went to Nazareth on, on church day. It's a good thing to do, right? He went to the synagogue as was his custom. 
All right, so now understand, this is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's like 30 years old, okay? He's already turned water into wine. His mama made him do it, and it's a great story, John chapter 2, all right? So we're in John chapter 4, but we're also in Luke chapter 4 here. And so Luke records these details. He's like, Jesus went to the synagogue, and, and, and he stands up in church that day. Everybody knew him. This was his hometown. This is the synagogue that he always went to. Everybody wake up. This is so important, all right? Jesus goes into church, and he stands up, and he announces to everybody, he says, today, this scripture that I'm about to read to you is fulfilled. And then he reads from the book of Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. This is Jesus. We saw him grow up here. Look what they said. All spoke well of him. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? Oh, isn't it great? Jesus was behaving in church. Isn't this Joseph's son? Oh, how sweet. All right, let's go to lunch. Whoa, wait a second. Jesus isn't finished. He's about to blow the place up. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Man, this is so rough. Physician, heal yourself. You can hear him saying. You guys are going to, you're going to quote this to me. Physician, doctor, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we heard you do over there in Capernaum. He had an attitude when he was saying this. It's awesome when you read it. Then he went on to say, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And then it got worse. I mean, he just Dug in. This is how he started his ministry. And Jesus gets kicked out of church today. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy. So he tells them from that point on, he says, um, y'all remember the story of the prophet Elijah? And there was a time that Elijah was sent to a woman, a widow's home, and the widow was about to die and her son was about to die because they were running out of food. You guys remember that time? He said, what you need to know and remember also is over in Israel, there were hundreds and probably thousands. He said, he used the word many, many widows there too that needed something. But instead, God sent Elijah to the, the widow in Zarephath. Instead of sending Elijah to the widows at this place, he sent them there. Oh, oh, and by the way, guys, do you remember the situation with Elisha? Do you remember that situation when, when there was a man with leprosy and he came to Elisha and Elisha told him what to do to go get healed? Do you remember that situation? Oh, by the way, when he did that, that was a man that wasn't even an Israelite. He wasn't even connected with Israel. And all these Israelites were over here with leprosy. But Elisha healed this guy. What's he saying? 
Jesus was... Yeah. Jesus was teaching them what God likes and doesn't like. He's saying this whole group of people over here think that they have the in on God. And yet, instead of healing even one of them, he healed this woman that was outside of that group. What's he saying? He's saying God makes decisions based upon what he likes and doesn't like. And God has feelings. And God responds to people when they accommodate for who he is and what he likes and doesn't like. In other words, you can please him and you can displease him. And listen, just the thought of God taking care of somebody outside of Israel infuriated them. They went nuts. He messed church up that day. And look what it says. All the people in the synagogue were furious, even the little church ladies, right? They were furious, all of the people. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But Jesus walked right through the crowd and went on his way. From a historical and archaeological perspective, here's what that cliff looks like today. But the message is deeper than that. From an inspirational perspective, some would be reminded of the amazing stories that Jesus healed this woman, or that Jesus, I'm sorry, not healed her, but provided for this woman, right? He provided for this woman and her son. God did. Through Elijah. Y'all remember that story. If you don't remember it, holler at me and I'll tell you where it is. It's a great story. God provided for that woman and her son. And she had oil and bread until it was all, until the, the, the famine was over. God did that. And that's inspirational. That's, that's inspirational for us. God healed the man with leprosy. That's inspirational for us. And we can be inspired by these stories for God's provision and God's healing in our lives. But the message Jesus was saying here is way deeper than that. James David, would you come? And so I, what I want you to do for just a few minutes here, one, I want you to grab onto this, this way of reading Scripture, asking while you read, what does God like and what doesn't He like and how can I accommodate for that? That's where you'll find nuggets of truth. And you'll find that all the tools that you have, you can jump from John chapter 4, over to Luke, and find the same story. And wow, there's more details. There's different perspectives that they wrote from. And it's beautiful how you can get more information. And here's what I want us to do also. I want you to imagine I want you to imagine if next Sunday morning Jesus walked in. I mean, seriously, I want you to imagine this. I want you to put this in your heart and mind. Jesus is going to be here next Sunday morning. How should we prepare this week for him? as a group, but also as individuals. How can we prepare for Jesus, His presence in this house?
It's so easy to take it for granted, isn't it? Now here's what happened that Sunday or Saturday when Jesus went to his own home church. Basically what he did was he stood up and said, God wants to do more for the guy that's sitting over there in the bar drunk on a Sabbath morning than he wants to do in his house of worship here today. And I can only hope that that's not the report Jesus would have next Sunday if he walked in here and he stood up after looking into the hearts of you and me. I hope that he would stand up and say, Father wants to bless you. You've prepared your hearts for worship today. You've prepared to serve today. You've prepared to love one another today. You've prepared for worship today. You did what you needed to do throughout this week to walk with me, to talk with me, and to have a relationship with me. You grew in a relationship with me. And I tell you today, well done. God wants to do some great things in your life today. Wouldn't that be an awesome, awesome report from heaven? That would be awesome. So, let's go throughout this week believing that Jesus is personally going to be with us next Sunday. Can we agree with, uh, with, can you agree with me on that? Can you agree with me that next Sunday, we're going to believe that Jesus is personally going to be here? Do you all say yes? And what does that mean? So I want you to take this sheet, take a look at it. And those of you who are online, if you'd like me to email it to you, just send me a text or shoot me an email. We'll get it to you. So to begin preparing ourselves for Jesus' presence next Sunday, first, I want you to take a look at any of the Gospels. The Gospels are the first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? These are the four perspectives of men who wrote about the life and times of Jesus, all right? And I want you to pick up, John is the easiest, it's the most uh, easy to connect with, Mark is, uh, if you've got an attention dis disorder, you know, if you're ADD or something, go to Mark, okay? He tells the, short, the stories in as short of a form possible. Um, Matthew and Luke are awesome. Luke was a doctor, and he wrote from a perspective that uh, is different than the rest of the guys. So just an awesome, awesome thing. So I want you to look at any one of those four books and start reading from that perspective and what I want you to do is at least three times this week, at least three times, I want you to write in each of these boxes what you learned when you sat and you read something in those four Gospels, one of those, whatever you choose to read, okay? Um, if you need help finding a location, just shoot me a text. John, I don't know where to look. I don't know what to do. Just shoot me a text, okay? 
but write in here something that you learn, what God likes and doesn't like. All right? Secondly, what decisions did I make based upon this information? Take a moment and decide, how am I going to change my life based on this situation, what I just learned? All right? Then if you flip over the sheet, number three, prepare to worship Him by repenting of sin. Okay, repenting of sin means that you look at your life and you begin to say the same thing about your sin that God says. Instead of condoning it, instead of saying, well, it's just my predisposition, it's just I was born this way or anything like that, what God says, I'm going to say the same thing about it, all right? And I'm going to do what I can to begin to walk away from that sin, to turn away from it in honor of my relationship with God because I love Him, not because of anything else, because you love Him. Make sense? Saying the same thing about it, as he says, and then write it down if you want to. I understand some of that information may be too personal and you're afraid someone's going to grab it. But at least do it. Maybe, maybe write it down in a place only you can get to it. But it helps, all right, if you can. <clears throat> Number four, prepare to serve him. Prepare to serve him next Sunday. Walk in prepared to be kind, to be loving to encourage somebody, to welcome somebody. Some of you are involved in the ministries around here. <clears throat> Prepare for it. Don't just haphazardly show up. Prepare for it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Number five, plan in advance what offering or sacrifice of some sort that you're to bring to him. God loves when people make sacrifices. Sacrifice means you trust him. But if you give this up today, he'll provide for tomorrow. God loves those kind of things. Prepare in advance. Think about. Do something with your heart. Prepare for next Sunday. What kind of church do you want? You want this kind of church, don't you? It's you and me that do it. I say yes. Let's do this. Let's be all that God wants us to be as a church family. Would you bow your heads? <clears throat> do you have that relationship with Him? Well, John, what do I do to get it? You simply accept him. He's already accepted you. That's not how you get to heaven, though. You get to heaven by accepting him. He's already forgiven you. What Jesus did on the cross, paid the price for your sin. And now it's about relationship. Do you accept him for who he is? Not because of what he did for you but for who He is. He's God. He raised from the dead. He's God. God, I accept You for who You are. And I thank You for Your forgiveness in my life. I so need it. I'm grateful. My sins are washed, cleansed, 
God, I turn my heart towards you and I invite you to come into my life. Thank you for loving me. I choose to love you for the rest of my life and to get to know who you are, what you like and don't like. Help me to please you. In Jesus' name, amen.